the school strike, even though we do have um, NGOs helping out, it is run by us. It is run by the students. We make the decisions and it's not been overrun. A lot of people have thought that we're just pawns of the Greens and... We're brainwashed, apparently. <laughs> In every single article I've seen about... Uh, me doing media or anyone else or just a movement in general it just says we're a bunch of brainwashed teenagers it's time to draw up your battle plan fire up your megaphone and write something witty on a placard this is your practical guide to starting the movements that change the world i'm rich brophy you're listening to how to start a riot What's up, Riot Squad? Rich Brophy here. Welcome to the show. Uh, today we've got a cracker episode. We're talking about protests. They're kind of iconic parts of movements that so many of us have seen, but maybe we don't understand them as much as we could or should. Seems like a bit of a hectic prospect to think about getting thousands of people to take the street to back our cause. And so that's why today I'm sitting down with a couple of the key players in the upcoming climate strikes. On September 20th in Sydney and in other cities around Australia and around the world, students and industry and the public at large are going to be taken to the streets to demand climate action from our leaders. And joining me in the studio today are a couple of uh, pretty big players from the School Strike for Climate movement. I have Ambrose and Varsha. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Now, today I'm going to pick your brains as to what actually goes on behind the scenes of a protest. You know, what are the preparations that we need to make? Um, how do we get there? Who do we work with? How do we prepare? What are our messages? How do we, you know, get people behaving in the right way? All that stuff. I'm going to pick your brains, guys, and hopefully by the end of today, all of our listeners will have a better idea of exactly how they can organise a protest too. Before we get into it, quite keen to hear from you guys. Who are you? How did you get started? What is going on here? So, my name's Varsha. Um, I'm 17. I go to Gosford High School and I'm in year 12. And what School Strike for Climate is doing is basically, just like you said, bringing people to the streets and raising awareness about climate change because our politicians aren't doing enough for us and we as, you, and we as a society feel like we need to do more. So that's what School Strike for Climate is aiming to do. Uh, my name's Ambrose Hayes. I'm 14 and I go to a school in the middle of the Sydney CBD. I have been part of the school strike movement since about December uh, last year and I help um, with national um, I help nationally and um, in Sydney as well. I do media, I do um, comms, organizing and logistics. Jeez, that's uh, quite a portfolio you have there. <laughs> Um, and so, just for context, what are you guys doing besides organising these strikes? Me personally, um, I'm doing a lot of multimedia, like photography and things like that, but a lot of my time is taken up by the school strike. Cool. And you, Varsha? Um, well, right now I'm in year 12, so I have my HSC going on. So a lot of studying, um, probably not as much as I should be, but um, I also do music in my spare time. But like Ambrose was saying, school strike does tend to take up a little bit more time nowadays since we're getting closer and closer to the strike. It's quiet. I think there's a lot of people out there that wonder, well, have I got enough time to do something outside my work or my social life? It sounds like you guys are cramming quite a lot into yeah. some intense time. Um, so 
let's talk about how you guys got involved in this movement to begin with. Start with you, Varsha. Um, so I joined the Australian Youth Climate Coalition at the start of last year. My school just sent out an email to apply for a student climate leadership program that they were running. And then I spontaneously applied um, and then just, just met these amazing people. And became... When you say spontaneous, do mm. you mean you had no interest in the climate before or leadership before or was there... I don't think it wasn't... It or more, wasn't the, or more I... the spontaneous way that Jean decided to organise a school strike yeah. at 11.30 at night. A month before the strike. <laughs> it, it was kind of like that. Like, I was just on my laptop, and then the emails came through, and I was like, okay, got to look at my school email, and then found the link and was like, okay, this sounds cool. I didn't really know that much about climate change because I think we're all aware about it to an extent. Like, the species are dying and, like, endangered um, lists are growing, but to the extent that I know about it now and the impact that it's actually having on us, I had no idea. So just applying for that gave me such a great insight into what we can do as a society, so not just like recycling or anything like that, but be a bigger force. Um, and then from then after joining the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, I kind of went to more events and then I spoke at a couple things. And then from there on, I joined School Strike for Climate because they're quite interlinked. And I think that's an amazing thing about climate organizations that we have this uniting force that we, we have a target goal. We know what we, what we want and we have, a, we have this amazing aim to to create a sustainable world. And yeah, that's how I joined School Strike for Climate at the end. Great. And Ambrose, do you follow a similar path? Did you cut your own way across the dance floor? Um, mine's quite similar because I also joined up through the AYCC. Um, I first found out about the School Strike on social media. I wasn't able to go to the first one since I only found out it the morning of. But I went to the um, March for Our Future, which was on December 15th last year. And there I met one of the volunteers from the AYCC who was doing photography and I decided if I might want to do something like that as well. Um, from that, I did a bit of photography for them and then they invited me to become a facilitator at their climate summer training, um, which was in January this year. And I was, the table I was facilitating on my table was Jean Hinchliffe, who was the founder of the Sydney Strike. And when I met Jean, she invited me to become part of the school strike and to help organising it. Um, so I guess the rest is history for that. Yeah, right. And can you tell us a little bit about the organisation? Is it you guys working in isolation? Are there other groups or teams? Are you connected to the global platform? What's going on? Yeah, so there's heaps of climate organisations like Greenpeace and the Australian Youth Climate Coalition and School Strike themselves are quite interlinked. Um, and Stop Adani and all of them, we're just, I think... What we've realised is that we have one target goal, and that's to put pressure on our politicians to see governmental action on climate change. So for us, that's that's all we want to do. That's why we're bringing people to the streets on September 20th, to get this governmental action. So, yeah. Okay, so government, the governmental <laughs> action, right? Demanding action is obviously that's why protests are such a powerful tool. Um, is there anything else going on to kind of make progress beyond the protests? Yeah, so um, we've got students quite often actually having meetings with their local MPs, trying to get them to support us and to see if they can commit to follow our three demands. And this is just one of the many ways that we're trying to get momentum in this movement apart from protesting. We've also got um, different campaigns that we're taking part on um, social media campaigns, which I'm sure will be starting up at some point. And, yeah, so it's not just skipping school. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> and what do you say to people who roll their eyes at students cutting school to do this? I've literally spent hundreds of hours this year organising the strike on September 20. And for those who think that we're just doing it to get out of school, it's obviously not true. I wouldn't spend hundreds of hours to miss one day of school. And some people, sure, they might be going to the strikes just to miss school, but the majority of the people actually care about this because it's affecting them, it's affecting all future generations, and they know that they need to go to this to be able to make a difference, to be able to get people to realise that's an issue that we need to act on. I think it's also the fact that I understand that our education is vital for us, but there's not going to be any use to my education if I don't have a sustainable world to live in. The quality of my lifestyle isn't going to be any use. It, sorry, it's going to be so low in comparison to the quality of my education. If I just keep ignoring climate change and keep saying that school is so important, but our world isn't because they both are interlinked. So, yeah. All right. That's a, that's a fair summation of your point. Thank you. Um, you talked about your three demands, Ambrose. What are the three demands? Um, we've actually recently just changed the three demands. Um, it used to be uh, one, stop the Adani coal mine, two, no new fossil fuel power, and three, 100% renewable energy by 2030. And we've changed our demands to incorporate workers as well. So now the demands are um, no new coal, oil, and gas projects, including the Adani Carmichael mine, 100% renewable energy generation and exports by 2030, and to fund a just transition and job creation for all fossil fuel industry workers. Yeah, okay, so it's quite focused on that sort of big end of town. Yeah. Why aren't you speaking to, say, mums and dads in the suburbs who can also take action? Mm, so this time we're having a global strike and that means that it's not just targeted towards the students. And I think that's our way of reaching out to, to the mums and dads, to the grandparents, to, to the adults out there. And we've also been creating a lot more videos and um, just like social media kind of things that aren't just targeted toward our Instagram audience because that tends to be quite for like the high school students or younger than that. So by creating videos that aren't just about, you know, facts about climate change, but actually talking about how we can have a just transition movement and how we can facilitate um, the movement from coal mines to renewable energy for workers, that's just been our fundamental way of reaching out to them. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, I'm really keen to talk to you guys about the strike because, um, or the protest rather, because I guess these are, this is something that when you see the scale of a protest, it's very difficult to imagine how you got these people to step away from their lives, to step away from their jobs and be in a place normally prepared with placards, with protest chants, that kind of thing. What is a protest? So protests is basically a group of people standing up for what they believe in. And I think for us, climate change is not just something that we're trying to stop, but we, what we want is to see governmental action because we've elected these people to represent us. And for us, a protest is about getting those people that we've elected to actually take action on what we want, to see our side and take our perspective on things for once. And so when does a bunch of people become a protest? What's the difference between a bunch of people standing around shouting and a bunch of people marching for action? I suppose for me personally, when it's an issue that they deeply care about and it's something that they're passionate about and that they believe in. If there's just a bunch of people standing around, not really caring what they're doing, it's quite pointless. Whereas if there's 
like the school strike, tens of thousands of people on the streets in in once in a city alone, that's when it becomes a protest. That's when it is showing that people care about this issue and it's showing that they want to make a change. That is a great observation, or a great definition rather. Um, if that's the end point, these people who are passionately excited in one place, what are the steps to getting there? What are the As in to get people to come along. Yeah, where do you start with something like this? I guess it starts choosing what we're going to do, choosing the movement, choosing the date and the location. The message. The message. We've had a few strikes already, but I think every single time we've tried to have a bit of a different message, a stronger message. And with this one on September 20th, it's about a global strike. It's about a unification of people. It's not about a few high school students or a few thousand high school students, but it's about a few thousand people. It's not about one demographic anymore. And that's, that's our message. It's about everyone, because that's who climate change is affecting. And so how do you communicate this message? How do you create something that inspires me to get out of my office chair and into the street? Um, I guess, start at it yet. I guess that the way that we are getting people to come to this strike is one, because people, have, people can see and have seen the last events that we've had, and that creates a message and shows that people power is powerful. And if we get more people to come along to the strikes, we can get the politicians to finally listen to us one of the ways that we are getting people to come along, especially, is with promotion and showing our message, especially with posters and social media campaigns as well. And so what are the kind of uh, messages that are going out to the public to get them on board? Well, I think a lot of the times we see people saying that the reason that they don't believe in climate change or the reason that they don't want to come to these strikes is they believe that we're supporting people who work in the coal mines losing their jobs. And this time, what we've really tried to reinforce is that we don't want that. Because personally, if I was a coal miner and I was at risk of losing my job, I would be horrified because that's my financial stability gone. Um, so what we've made sure to do is say that we want to fund a just transition. That means that you're not going to lose your job. You're going to be financially stable. And that's that's the key message this time. Yeah. And, and is that have you learned that through past actions you've seen this isn't resonating we need to adjust our message yeah particularly with the results of the election because there was a lot of the rural areas that were struggling that we were struggling to find the votes for climate action and we need to educate people um that climate action doesn't mean financial instability it does mean stability it does mean normalcy because we need a sustainable world another way that we found out about it was um at least me personally because i went to quite a few meetings with unions and a lot of the workers brought this issue up and brought it to our attention and showed us that this is also something that we need to put forward because we'll be getting jobs in the future as well, but we also need, um, we need, we need to care about the people who have jobs in this industry right now, which we were caring, but we won't, but we weren't publicizing that we're going to show that message that everyone will be, be okay. <laughs> And how does that make you feel? Because obviously this is the fundamental part, right? Being able to communicate something to these people. How does it feel to have to almost shift your own perspective in order to win over more people? I don't think it's that we're shifting our own perspective. I guess it's just that we're shifting our message. We're shifting the way that we're trying to show that this is the issue. Our The demands haven't really changed. We've just added something 
that is equally as important. And I think it, it hasn't been shifting in perspective, like Amber said, but it's more about reaching out to a larger demographic. Because for such a long time, we've centered on school students. And I think the thing with most school students is that they have these very progressive views about saving the world and like being the future leaders. But when it comes to people who are a bit older than that or people who are relying on coal mines um, for financial stability, it's not about the future, it's about the present. And right now we're targeting the present, not just the future. Yeah, right. That's a really interesting... I know it doesn't sound like a shift in perspective, but I think that's a really almost mature stance to take because I suppose what happens with a lot of uh, movements or organisations is that struggle between that absolute ideal and ways to speak to other people. So it's really interesting to hear you guys, who are not particularly old, have that very worldly and wise view. Um, All right, so you've learnt to craft your message then how do you how do you get it out ambrose you're the communications guy talk me through it mate are you just sitting there blasting out insta posts or are you thoughtfully crafting these things choosing your opportunities tell me all about it so much of the promotion of the first strike was through social media the problem with that was that not everyone saw it and now we've got such more of a bigger following on these platforms we've we're getting literally millions of posts reach on facebook for example each month and when even though a lot of people don't have a lot of the youth doesn't have facebook they've still got other platforms and even for the people who don't use social media we're also doing promotion in the streets we're putting posters up when we're handing out flyers at um, train stations And this is getting the message across to people that this event will be on and that they should come and support it because it's something that will affect us. And what are the kind of questions you're being asked by the public? Because I suppose you've got the people that are following you on these social platforms. That's your choir, right? What are the concerns or questions people have beyond that? One of the questions that people often ask is why are we skipping school? Um, I've personally even been asked it by a teacher who walked past parliament house one time uh and then even offered to buy me lunch because he um agreed with what i ended up saying um but which was you're going to give us that (laughs) yes that's what i'm going to say (laughs) (laughs) um so the reason that we're striking is because if we strike on the weekend it's not striking it's not We've had events on the weekend, but it doesn't make as much of a difference. There's not as much media coverage around it. If we're striking from school, it shows that we are more dedicated to the cause and that it's a more powerful message to be striking from school compared to just going out on the weekend and standing outside, for example, Town Hall in Sydney. Whereas when we are striking from school, it's showing we are willing to give this up for one day to make, a, to make a difference. And how important is the media to your cause? The media is important to every cause. They decide how something is portrayed. They, they are the people who put it out to the public a lot of the time and they are what promotes the movements. And when, we, when we're a movement of this size, the media is really important because it helps us grow. 
since we get more engagement and the more media comes um, looking for stories and when we have an event like this, so much media coverage comes around with it and when it just gets more and more people to know about these issues. Yeah, um, I also think, like, we had the May 3rd action right before the elections and the problem with that was... I was at the event, I was an MC for it, and I thought, wow, this is a great turnout for such a small event. It wasn't supposed to be a large scale, but the media then turned it around and said that we were losing momentum. And I think that just shows the power that the media has for our movement and how we need to be so careful and um, diligent with how we use it. An example of that, I think, was that um, Nine News ended up saying that we had about 900 people across Australia mm-hmm. on the May 3rd event. Yeah, I was outside Anthony Albanese's office and we probably had about 500 people at yeah. one event alone. And then we were doing these events at MP offices all across Australia. Yeah. So what have you learned from that experience that you're going to be applying this time around? The fact that when we have smaller events, um, we can't have the media on the same level because when we have small events, we intend them to have, have smaller numbers. Obviously, we can't keep pulling out like... 150k thousand strikes like it's just too much um and it's too too hard to coordinate so i think it's just understanding that we need to have the media on one side and then keep ourselves on the other as well and just be wary of how we utilize them and how we invite them and how we correspond with them and so how do you do that if i'm a newbie starting out i want to start a protest in my community what how should i be engaging with the media oftentimes we just send out um what are they called? Media <laughs> Press release. Media releases. Yeah. And they are sent to the media. They tell they tell them what we are doing, when we are doing them, why we're doing these events. And that gives them the opportunity to contact us and reach out to us and get a story, get, their pers- get our perspective, and that allows us to get um, more coverage. Yeah, okay. And I suppose it helps you control the narrative when there's... Oh, yeah. When one person to speak to. When they're reaching out to us, it's a lot lot easier because we, we get to choose who we contact and how long they're coming and when they're coming. But then when it gets a bit out of hand and suddenly there's just a bunch of media, co- there's a bunch of media coverage on us, it's a bit difficult to monitor who's saying what and how they're portraying us. Now, that's a really interesting point. How do you create that message or story that you're sharing? Everyone who does media for the school strike, most of the time um, they're one of the media spokes if they're one of the people who are organising the events. And that means they've done media training, which has been supplied by us, and that we've... Are you running the media training, Ambrose? Because you're a very polished fellow. (laughs) Not me personally. I've only done one media training, and then again, I wasn't even able to stay for the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's all so good. (laughs) So we've got media spokes and they're the designated people to speak to the media and everyone who's a media spoke has the same message. We are all fighting for the same cause and the way that we are getting the media to pick up on the same thing is because we are saying the same message so that they realise that this is what we are fighting for, not just some random thing that someone has said. And do you guys get together and agree on that? What's what's the process behind that? So um, we have multiple meetings. Sometimes, especially coming closer to the strike, there's quite a few every week now. Is this um, just locally or across Australia? No, so nationally and locally. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of virtual, just online meetings. Um, 
And that's just a really, really great space for us to not only disagree about things, but also come to new agreements. So like when we were coming up with a new demands, there was a lot of disagreement about how we should word the strikes, what we should add in the demands and all of that. But I think just, just in that space, it was so good to have a bunch of ideas and just like come to a conclusion with one. And then we decided that, okay, we, we like this, we need um, the just transition, now where do we put it in? Should we have a fourth demand or should we just modify a third demand? And I think just modifying the third demand and making those little decisions is so, so helpful for us because it makes our message a lot more succinct and it also makes it much more clear to the politicians that we need to fight for. Yeah, right, okay. And is it easy to come to, come to these agreements online? How many people are we talking in this meeting? Quite, quite a few. Um, yeah, and then there's a group chat with all the people just saying, oh, okay, can I please get the minutes of the meeting? I missed it. And then they'll put their little bit of input in. So it's, it's a bit of a process, but we do get there at the end. And is there somebody managing this process? Um, most of the time it's the person who had run that meeting, mm. uh, but then everyone kind of puts their own input in and we managed to come to a decision in the end. Yeah, right. Okay, Um Ambrose, I just want to pick your brains for a second about uh, the media training for people who are listening who they've got a story, they've talked with their collaborators, they've decided this is the message we're going to the media with. They've written a press release, maybe they're standing in front of camera or being interviewed on the radio. What are the kind of fundamentals that people should know? I guess to first, if you're especially if you're doing media for the first time or if you haven't done it for a while, rehearse your message know what you're talking about and get ready for any tricky questions, especially if you're doing it on, I'll just say, platforms that don't necessarily agree with you. Another way is to try and just say what you believe in. Don't don't just go and say things that you don't believe in that you're not passionate in. Um, if you're not passionate, oftentimes, especially if it's on TV, you can see in your facial expression mm. that you're not really that engaged. And if someone's engaged in this issue, they can see that they definitely care about it. And when someone cares about it, showing emotion, that it's showing the people who are the viewers that it's an issue that they should care about it as well. Yeah, right. Okay. Avasha, have you had a poor experience with this? Is that why you're nodding yet? Oh, um, <laughs> I think me more. <laughs> I haven't had actually too many bad experiences with media. Um, I think the tricky questions do come out and there's always, always going to be a conflicting side. I think it's just accepting that and being like, okay, this is my view. I stand for it. I believe in it, but they're not going to believe it. That's fine. I'm just going to do my best to convince them. And um, I also think it's about knowing who you're targeting because that's so, so important. I know being on Q&A, there's a big sense of passion that overcomes you, but then you need to realize that people aren't going to agree with you and that you're just trying to persuade them. You're not trying to promote their excitement or anything like that for the strike, but it's just about getting your message across and turning those negative questions or those negative answers that you get back to positives and saying, no, our strikes are making a message. We are mobilizing people. We are making a difference. So I guess it's really remembering that your audience might not be the people in front yeah, of you. They're beyond sure. and they're, they're potential adversaries. Mm. Yeah. All right, you've got, um, you've got a message. You're controlling the media as much as you can. You know, you're staying professional and preened when you're on camera, on radio. Um, what about the logistics of a protest? Can I just rock up somewhere and 
march down the street or is there something that is it going re- on in it the really background? it really depends on the protests if it's a small protest like um some of the Fridays for Future strikes that some people do have um for example I've done some outside New South Wales parliament that only has a few people and we just stand outside parliament with signs and talking to people as they come past that doesn't need much com- with logistics whereas a strike as big as the school strike in Sydney we've got teams of people working on it putting some pe- some NGOs they're having people working full time on this because there is so much work to put into it to get a, an event this large to actually work there's so much to do and there's sound systems to organize yeah talk us through all this stuff this is the interesting stuff i think like mcs who's going to be that and then like who who are we going to have to speak like pacific islanders indigenous and then there's a run sheets for how we're going to get these people to speak what they're going to say what how they're going to target our message and how they're going to convey that to this massive audience and then just like the the little things that seem not so important but make such a big difference because i know in one of our first strikes the sound quality wasn't the best, so it was a bit hard to actually get our message across. So this time we've made sure that we're having these wheelie bins, bring in the speakers of um, blasting music, get a bit of like entertainment, bit of hype going through the audience. Getting big screens so people can see up on yeah, the stage. Pre- so you're basically organising like a bit of a festival. Yeah. Well, not, well a, not a festival that... But it's the logistics of a festival, It's kind right? of the logistics of a festival, yeah. yeah like there's... There's merch. merch. Come get our merch. Um, There, like, for a lot of the people who are helping organise, no one's organised an event this big before. Mm. Uh, One of the the people who had been helping us, he was talking to police, to the police. Um, None of the people at the police have organised an event this big before. Uh So you're actually, because I imagine there's, like, I suppose you need some kind of agreement from the council yeah. that you can do it. You need police to be there to shut down roads. Yeah, so that was actually a little bit tricky because at first we got rejected to use a domain and that meant that we had to go to the Hyde Park again, which wasn't ideal because um, just the space and like the area itself is not the best. So and that we're not able to use a stage. Yeah, exactly. And we need that stage again just to make sure that people see us, make sure people hear us and get the message across. So then we had to go back to the police and this amazing person who's been helping us just, just made sure to do that. He got in touch again. And yeah, it's just been amazing that the connections that we've made through this organization. So we managed to finally get the domain. We spoke to people, um, some of the trustees from the domain and got their approval because overruled some of the people at the domain. And it was a long process, but we finally managed to do it in the end. And so where are you getting these tactics from? How do you know that you should speak to the trustees rather than the council? How did you track down this magical man who's liaising with police? I think that for the trustees, I think it was, I don't know, I feel as though it's probably on their website somewhere because it's the trustees for, well, for us at least, we are having the school strike in Sydney at the Domain, which is this massive green space in the middle of the city and which is owned by the Royal Botanic Gardens. And the Royal Botanic Gardens has trustees, which help manage it, I guess. And they are involved in decisions on um, events like this. And 
the domain originally, they said they they often have um, events at the um, big green space, uh, such as concerts. Their maximum size for the amount of people is 30,000. Yeah, okay. We got 30,000 people the last Sydney strike. <laughs> so they're a bit nervous. So yeah. they're a bit nervous about that. And we are, at the, it's different this one because we're getting all the workers involved. Mm. Yeah. And yet you've been given the green light. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just hoping for the best. And um, it's just like getting the logistics right. So like making sure the sound system is good. I think those will kind of balance and kind of eliminate the negativity if we have more, well, like, we definitely will have more than 30,000 for this one. And just, like, working with other organizations like Stop Adani's, where we find these amazing people who are just helping us so much, organizing everything, and, like, Tipping Point as well is just, yeah. Been one way that we're so going what's to... Tipping Point? Tipping Point's um, an organized... Well, it's, it's technical. Like, it's confusing. So they're run by... So they run under Friends of the Earth, Mm-hmm. And they're a, sort of a campaign. They they help with um, like the people who work for Tipping Point run the Stop Adani campaign, mm. but yeah, they okay. um they also help with the school strike with logistics and stuff. Cool. Yeah, and like one way that we're getting so many more people because a lot of people, a lot of students I know didn't come to the last one will be coming to this no, to this one, is because we've got last strike we didn't have much time to promote the to promote the event. This time we have had a lot more time. And we've got so many volunteers promoting the strike, putting out posters and things like that. Yeah. And just like going to stalls with um, Stop, Stop Adani and having our own and handing out flyers to people has just done so much, like going to the vegan markets and doing that. I know so many people have found out about our information. So, um, so it sounds like resilience is an important part, right? Yeah. Finding different ways to approach it. Uh, partnering sounds like it's a big thing. How do you get together with these other partnership movements? Because obviously on the day, it's all about the scale, right? So how do you connect with these different groups and what do you talk about with them? Yeah, so we've got, um, for example, in Sydney every Tuesday, um, we've got a meeting with the NGOs um, where they help, they talk to us about the logistics of the strike. The strike, I'll just... just for people at home, NGO? Non-governmental organisations. Great. So what's an example of that? Um, Greenpeace, Nature Conservation Council, 350, cool. places like that. Sure. Just to clarify as well, the school strike, even though we do have um, NGOs helping out, it is run by us. It is run by the students. We make the decisions and it's not been overrun. Um, Why are you pointing that out? Because a lot of people have thought that we're just... Pawns of the Greens and... We're brainwashed, apparently. <laughs> In every single article I've seen about um, me doing media or anyone else or just a movement in general just says we're a bunch of brainwashed teenagers. How does that make you feel? Just disgusted and, like, angry and frustrated because we're putting effort into this thing and we have a reason that we're doing this. It's not just come out of nowhere saying, oh, September 20th, I feel like skipping school. We should just have a protest. It's not about that. We're, we're putting in time. We're putting in effort. And we have a clear message. So, yeah. I mean, I've been called a smart but confused 14-year-old on national radio. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with that? Isn't that a bit harsh? Don't you think, all right, I've had enough. I'm going home. 14 is very young to be chastised on national media. There was a lot more positive media compared yes. to that. Yeah. Um, that was actually on the Alan Jones show. Oh, really? 
So I did that interview on March 15. It was an interesting interview. Um, kept getting interrupted, so I wasn't able to put my point across that much. Although a lot of his facts after it, uh, it was with Steve Price, a lot of the facts, so-called facts that he pointed out, I researched afterwards and were not true. Yeah, and just like going on Q&A, I remember the promo that they did before, there was a bunch of Facebook comments and there was so many and I was just going through them being like, this is terrible. I'm, and then they would call me like this leftist brain brainwashed kid and I'd be like, okay, okay, I just need to like remain calm and composed because I know why I'm doing this and I have this amazing group of people who I'm doing this with. And I think it's about that, just like having each other along the way. So you guys are supporting hate. each other. We all get hate. This. It's fine. <laughs> We're just, yeah. <laughs> So it seems, it appears as though you can laugh it off. Is yep. it that easy? We get or? so much more support than we get hate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. So you pull your strength from the love, not the hate. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, all right, cool. So we've got our message. We've broadcast it. We've started to connect with different groups. We've got our permits. The cops are on side. What now? What's going on now? Feels like this is all the stuff that's happened. I guess we have the event. So what? So on the day of the event, right? You've got let's say one hundred and fifty thousand. Does that sound good? You're nodding your head. In wait, wait in, in where? Australia? Like across Australia? No, or? in Sydney. In Come Sydney, on. that's that's, a that's a, all right. Too much. Okay. So so every, everything's in place. Yeah. You got your story. You got your permit. You got your banners. What? What do you do to control these people? Because surely. All these different strikers, all these different kids, a lot of them are teenagers. Mm. There's a lot of deviancy. People can behave in different ways. How do you get them to, I don't know, to behave in the right way, in a way that's conducive to your cause? We've got um, well, we've got a few ways that we do that. One, we've got MCs who help lead the strike. Um, and we've also got chant leaders who help lead the chants to show people this is what we're doing. And we've got marshals as well. So, for example, um, Greenpeace sent out an email to about 150,000 people last week, which was actually written by, um, it was about me, <laughs> which was quite funny. But um, they that's one of the ways NGOs have helped us as well. They've put out um, calls for support, calls for people to help with the strike and to be marshals. And when we've got marshals, they help control the crowds, um, make sure no scuffles break out uh, and make sure that it goes smoothly. Yeah, okay. So they kind of make sure people are exhibiting yeah. the right sort of behaviour. put out any yeah. fires. And uh, so what was in that, sorry, just what was in that email? Was it saying that we're going to be positive and upbeat and chanting? Or yeah, was it, it was saying that and it was um, basically a call to action from me to ask people, do they want to help us get a better future, do they want to be marshals and help us with our cause? Yeah, cool. All right. So I imagine they're quite an integral part. Have you had them in um, these protests before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. they've helped us heaps. Um, I think every protest has marshals. Yeah. And so how many marshals have you got for something like this? Probably a around 150. Yeah, okay. And are they parents, students, people from the public? We try to get, like, parents just, like, People a bit older than teenagers, obviously. Um, I think another thing that comes with controlling the crowd is just accepting that you're going to have, like, we d always do end up getting a few political parties trying to weave their way in, saying that, oh, yeah, we're, we're supporting their movement, so you support and vote for us next election. And just being like, okay, they're going to come. We can't, like, shoo them away and just 
try and take care of them when we're trying to get our message across. So I think it's just about being accepting and trying to look at the benefits and the advantages of having a great crowd there. So yeah. Uh, that's a that's a really interesting perspective. I often wondered how the I'm not sure the local cobblers society uh, ended up on the climate march, but it's yeah. obviously they're looking for people to buy into what they're doing as well. Yeah. Fit and turn. <laughs> What's the vision for the day? What do you hope to see? And then what's the plan for afterwards? Our vision for the day, I guess, is to get as many people as possible to come to the strike, to show the politicians that we care about it and that we want um, these policies to change. So what does that what does that look like? What's the reaction you're looking to incite? Well, closing down the Adani coal mine would be an amazing start because currently we're just opening more and more. Um, and we're not seeing any action taken because clearly we're, there's a lot of illegal um, things going on with the Adani coal mine behind the scenes. And no matter how many um, court cases are being done, they seem to be just getting chewed away because the government wants their funding and their money. And I think what we want to see out of the strike is our economy not being so reliant on coal because we do have the potential to rely on solar, to rely on wind and just move away from this coal-dominated society that we've built for ourselves. And so after the, after the, fact, after the march, mm -hmm. you hope that there's... An agreement, uh, a signal of intent. What do you? Yeah, just. What would you like Scott Morrison to come out and say after this? Well, I know march. what I don't want him to say. To say that we should be going to school instead, because that's what happened every single time. Like, the prime minister just comes out saying that we shouldn't be doing this and all that. I just want. I want to see some action, and I want to see them say that you know we understand that climate change is ruining a society that we can move away from coal. And hopefully some action will come out of the UN Climate Summit as well on yeah, September 23rd. Yeah, okay. Do you know if Scott Morrison's attending that yet or not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and how does... I think this is a unique challenge that you guys have, right? It's almost being spoken down to mm. by adults. What, is, what does that do to you? Does it, um, does it make you stronger or does it make you more angry or defiant or does it just make you feel this is a bit hopeless? I think initially it makes me a bit, a bit, it does make me down. It does make me sad and frustrated, I guess, that I have these views that I'm so passionate about and that my friends are so passionate about. But at the end, it kind of shows me that people aren't going to change and I can't make them change, but I can get my message across and I can try to make a change in the world with, with these amazing group of people, yeah. Yeah, okay. So it's really the, the strength of the pack that you've got. That's mm, for sure. I, like, I don't think we'd be able to do anything without having this amazing team just nationally and locally. Well, how do you guys stay energised? You've been running these for quite a while. You've been through this a it's few times. It's getting close to a year now. Yeah. How do, you, how do you stay upbeat and focused and that kind of thing? I think it's, it's more than just fighting for climate change. At this, it's fighting for climate action at this point. It's like... We're a good group of friends now, you know, there's there's more. Like, we can talk about school and be like, oh, this assignment. Just talking about those little things that are not about climate action, it kind of is energising because it seems like there's more depth to our movement. It's about unifying people, and I think the fact that we're making this amazing collective society who actually has a goal and who wants to make a change just is so energising in itself. The last thing that I want to ask you is what have been 
I guess, the victories along the way? Well, I would say one of the main victories is mobilizing such a big movement in the first place because this came out of nowhere, this amazing climate strike, and I remember seeing it on the news because I couldn't go that day because of year 11 assessments, but just seeing it on the news and seeing all these people going down the streets, I was like, this is insane. Like, a few months ago, I would have never thought that was possible. And seeing how much our, our movement has done since then, seeing how much my more involved my school is in this movement, how many, how many of my friends are going to the strike on September 20th, I think that's one of our biggest successes. So you like to, when you see it with your own two eyes, that's the... It's amazing. That's the juice, as they say. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right, what about the challenges? What have been the biggest challenges along the way? I think the biggest challenges possibly have been the politicians not wanting to listen to us, um, especially because we're just kids. Um, yet we still know a lot and we probably care about the most because it's going to affect us. And when they just put it aside and say, let, um, go back to school will deal with it, except they don't. That's what annoys us. And they just want us to deal with it when we're older and we're not in school and can supposedly make decisions. Yeah, it'll be too late by then. We will reach a tipping point if we don't act now. And so the challenge, the, it's basically the same challenge that you get over and over again. Yeah, that just the government. Inaction. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think also some some people around us, like some schools and stuff aren't very supportive of kids striking, and that's also been quite a hard problem. And I know some of my friends, their parents aren't letting them strike, which I guess, again, comes down to like the political influence that, that politicians have on us and how they're, they think that we're brainwashed and how that's affecting our parents and just all of that. And I think it's just saying that, no, we do know what we're doing. We have a cause and we need to do this. Cool. All right. Well, that's. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you guys have had good media training because whenever I ask you a negative question, we end up in a place yes. where I'm pumping my fist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, something that uh, I think a lot of people will be asking is how do you turn those, what do they call them, slacktivists, the people that click attending online, how do you get the people to go from social commitment to actually being there on the day? What are some of the tips and tricks that you can share? I think to try and make it an engaging event. One of the ways that we're doing that is by getting the thousands of people who are there to have placards and to be creative and to have chants where everyone is part of the event, not where you're just there and you're showing support, but you're not really part of it. We want everyone to be there, be involved and to feel like they're welcome there. So how do you do that in the lead-up, though, when I haven't been to one of your marches before? We're also making sure that we're getting enough promotion out. Um, just getting a wide demographic, I think that's really, really important for this strike in particular. And also just having performers, having a bit of merch. It's not that we're trying to commercialise the event, but we're trying to make it more popular and saying that, you know, this is something that you can be supportive outside of September 20th. You can wear those stickers, you can... Take that bag outside. You can wear the shirt. You know, show your support for us because it doesn't end on that day. It's not just about that one day. It's about a future commitment. And I think that's something that a lot of people want to do. We want to be part of a bigger collective, and that's what School Strike for Climate is doing. Yeah, right. So you build. This isn't about a protest. This is about a movement. 
Yeah. And on a lot of our posters, it says, everyone welcome. So obviously a big part of uh, this march has been the not business as usual movement, which is businesses who are deciding to shut down for the day and send or allow their employees to go off and join the strike. So how has that come about? I personally haven't been too involved in the process of that aspect of the um, strike, but I know that as of today, as of recording this um, podcast, 200 businesses have signed up and pledged to shut down and go to the school strikes um, on September 20. And this is a major milestone and it's showing that these corporations are wanting to, um, to have change as well and are wanting the politicians to listen to everyone to, while they're not, they might not be listening to us right now, if we get these big businesses involved, I think they're quite possibly going to listen. Yeah, and for me personally, it, it shows me that a society isn't taking that economical view all the time. We're taking that moral standpoint. We're saying that we can't lose these species. We can't lose these people in the Amazon because we, we just think about money all the time. And it shows us that we are becoming more progressive in our thinking, that we are understanding that climate change is affecting us. It's not a myth. It's not another ice age. It's, it's a real thing that's happening right now. I think that's a good point to end on because I think when you start to get uh, groups from outside your sphere of influence who are coming to the party, who, you know, who, who are finding the, a message that resonates with them and then they're taking action, I think that is when you start creating a real movement and that's I think a testament to both of you guys so congratulations on the work that you've done thanks so much thank you now before we go I want um, your key piece of advice for anyone who's trying to start a movement what do you think is the one fundamental thing that you would say to someone who's thinking about getting behind an issue and taking some action my piece of advice to anyone who wants to start a movement is to create a message that will make an impact, that will get people to listen. My piece of advice is just to get involved in something. It doesn't matter, you know, how small it is, how big it is, because these organisations grow. As long as you have a passion, as long as you're surrounded by people who have that similar passion, it is going to make a difference, no matter how big or how small it is. You are going to do something. Great. All right. Vasha, Ambrose, thank you very much for your time. Thank you Thanks so for much having for us. Having See you guys on September 20. That's our show for today, guys. Thanks so much for joining in. Thank you to Varsha and Ambrose for joining us in the studio today. Uh, hopefully you've gained some insights, you're feeling inspired, and um, I don't know, maybe now is a good time to put that climate strike into your diary and join us on September 20th. Um, yeah, that's it from me. If you want to chat more, discuss what you've heard today with other people from the Riot Squad, you can go to our Slack group in our show notes. Um, I don't know, if you want to share this episode with someone you think is maybe going to start their own movement, then go right ahead. My name is Rich Brophy. Thank you very much for tuning in. This was How to Start a Riot.